Hello and welcome to Racket Rundown, a podcast where we break down everything Georgia tennis related. I'm your host, Tio, and let's get it started. Ready, play. I recently had the chance to sit down with John Parsons from the No I Had No Problem podcast to discuss my year at Georgia and my thoughts on the transfer portal. Here is a replay of that interview. Hey everyone, transferring has always been popular in college tennis, but given the extra year of eligibility due to the shortened 2020 season, it is more popular than ever. And now that the 2023 season has concluded, you're seeing lots of announcements, lots of parcel bombs about players transferring, taking their talents to other programs. I wanted to learn a little bit more about the infamous transfer portal, the overall process, and hear about a transfer success story. So joining me to do that is Teodor Juska. Teodor played four years at Clemson, where he concluded his season 19-6 and six in dual matches, splitting time between the number one and number two positions. He then transferred to Georgia, where he just helped the Bulldogs claim an SEC regular season title and make the Elite Eight. Teodor, thanks so much for joining the show. How are you doing today? Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's really a pleasure and an honor to be on your show finally after such a long time, you know. Uh, I'm doing good, uh, you know. Uh, it's the retired life. It's pretty stressful, you know, maybe more stressful than when I was a college tennis player, but got to deal with it. Yeah, well, congratulations on a great season. and I know we will get into that. But before we do, I want to learn a little bit more about your background, let people understand kind of where you're from and how you got into tennis. So you're originally from Romania. How did you originally get started in tennis? Yeah, so uh, we had I'm from a really small town and my dad uh, had some friends that used to play tennis on a local tennis court. And he just brought me brought me with him one day. I had a wooden racket that was bigger than me. I was only three years old, you know, so I could barely hold on to the racket. So he would help me hit it over the net. And then uh, I just started, I just started going more often. And then every single time after we went, I said, I will never want to go again. And then the morning off uh, where, when practices were, were happening, I was like, dad, can we please go? Can we please go? And then at around the age of six, someone saw me and said, this kid is super talented uh, he, you, sh- you guys should move to a bigger city, which is Bucharest, the capital, and get some proper training. So then, uh, my my dad and my mom made a sacrifice, left their job, put a mattress on top of uh, of our car, loaded the car up, and we just moved to Bucharest. Found a found a new school over the summer, found a coach, and then it just it was uh it was th- like that. And then around twelve. Uh, my parents and I moved to Brussels and we thought it would be better for me for my development uh, as a tennis player as a person however school there uh, went from like 8 to 4 p.m so it was super tough for me to get the proper training I I needed Uh, so one day when I was like 14 and a half I came home literally sobbing my eyes out uh, telling my dad that like I can't achieve my dreams uh, continuing this way so my dad made another sacrifice and just moved uh, with me back to Bucharest and my mom stayed in Brussels. So I'm super grateful. And without my parents, I would never be where, where I am today. And I don't think a lot of parents would do uh, what my parents did for uh, for their kid. Yeah, well, that's really special to hear about the sacrifices, I think, for for many players. You know, 
particularly tennis, which is a, an expensive sport. You don't have the resources of having a team. Uh, oftentimes it does come down to sacrifices from parents. You talked about that dream, you know, when you were 12 to 14, was that dream to play pro tennis? And was that kind of what you were working towards in those teenage years? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I just talked on my podcast to Meg and I told her how my biggest dream was to be top 10 in the world. And I'm like heartbroken that I, I need to stop playing, you know, because it's just super expensive to play tennis and just doesn't make sense to, to play professional because only the top hundred players in the world make money. So yeah, that was my goal, but obviously going to college, I enjoyed so many beautiful things and I'm super grateful for what tennis has given to me. So it's not that I'm mad at tennis, but it's just, it's just heart heartbreaking to, to put the rackets up, hang the rackets up. Yeah. That is a, a difficult conclusion uh, for sure. At what point in your junior career did you start to think that college would be a good a, a good path for you as your next step? Yeah, so my dad and my parents in general always thought that college was a good option because I don't come from a wealthy family at all. Like I never played ITF junior tournaments due to the high cost of doing that. I only played futures around uh, Romania, so college was always an option and uh uh, my parents never got involved in the recruiting process or, or, or any of the NCAA stuff. You know, it's super difficult, obviously, as an international to do that on your own. Some people pay $5,000 for agents, and I did all of that on my own. And uh, I made the, this decision on my own, and uh, yeah, they just supported me. So that's what I'm curious about because I'm biased. I'm an American. I've grown up around the college system, grown up around college tennis. But for so many non-Americans, one, the U.S. collegiate system can feel pretty foreign. It is by nature foreign to them. Uh, but also college tennis is something that they might not understand. How did you go about you know, understanding what the college system was like, evaluating certain schools, uh, how did you do that as a junior with uh, limited resources? Yeah, I mean, I was super passionate about college tennis, and I was fortunate enough that Alex Gilea, you know, from Oklahoma, oh, was yeah. there before and got to talk to him. He explained to me some things. But uh, even before going to college, I think uh, from 16 to 18, I was following a lot of the matches because I think it's something that is super exciting. And uh, I, I I had a good idea about what, what college tennis had to offer. On the other hand, I think there is a big stigma in Europe still, especially Eastern Europe, about how if you go to college, your tennis career is over and things like that. And I think that's super wrong because, I mean, you can see players like Ethan is like 400 in the world. Elliot Spaziri is going to do really good. Uh, I mean, even Adrian Boitan, who is Romanian and played for Baylor, uh, is like 450 in the world. So I think it's a great pathway. And uh, the resources that uh, college teams have to offer are, is something that uh, we can definitely take advantage of as uh, Eastern Europeans. Yeah, and I think more than ever, right, you see this year the ATP and the ITA announcing the uh, ATP wildcards for top 20 players in the ITA. That really does solidify it's not just a, a tagline to say that, oh, college is a pathway to the pros. It's like, well, actually, if you do have a good college career or a good college season, 
you're going to be guaranteed wild cards into challengers, which is something that many players from Europe or Eastern Europe, like they might not have that many challengers wherever they're from. And so to have that opportunity, I think is, is really huge uh, and certainly helps to solidify that pathway. So sounds like you were fairly well-versed coming into to college. You, uh, you head to Clemson where you have a really successful career, 64 and 37 overall in singles, as I mentioned at the top, uh, by the end of your senior season, you know, you were splitting time between the one and the two position had a really good winning record. When people think about transferring, I think there's a few questions that they need to answer, particularly given the extra year of eligibility so many people have had during this COVID era. And the first is, do I even want to use my extra year of eligibility? Do I want to maybe go pro, go into the corporate world, do something else? Was that ever a thought for you or was it always a given that you wanted to use that extra year? No, uh, I was always wanted to use it. I think you you are a lot on Twitter and you saw people uh, tweet something a few days ago about how uh, there is nobody that loves college tennis more than me. <laughs> and that is like so true. I live for college tennis. I follow every single match, every single result. I know everything about anything, you know, and uh, I always wanted to be around one more year and I was so grateful for that chance and obviously to get a great education paid for, you know, get a great master's that is top 15 in the country uh, is is a bonus. And honestly, my dream since I came to college was to get a ring. Uh, when I went to Clemson, uh, I wanted to rebuild the program and make it into a winning program. And unfortunately, that didn't really happen the way I dreamt of. But then I went to Georgia and... Um, I told all my friends that I'm going to Georgia and we're going to win a ring, uh, whether it's going to be an SEC title, NCAA title. I didn't really care. I wanted the ring and uh, we achieved that. And I'm, I couldn't be more grateful for the extra year of eligibility. Yeah. So it sounds like slam dunk. You were always going to use that. The next question someone needs to ask themselves if they're thinking about transferring or using this extra year is, do I want to use it at my current school or do I want to go elsewhere? Right. Many players are able to use that extra year at their current school, get a master's, continue on with the players they've been playing. Uh, you made the decision to not use that extra year of eligibility. Based on your answer there, it sounds like one of the biggest factors there was to get a ring, right? And that wasn't going to be something that was possible uh, given the state of the Clemson program. Is that a fair assessment of sort of why you decided to even look uh, at transferring? No, yeah, for sure. That was that was always uh, my my dream, and uh, also there was uh, some problem with uh, the scholarship. I couldn't get the scholarship mm -hmm. I I needed, and I think deserved uh, at the time, uh, especially playing top of the lineup and only losing three matches in dual match, and uh, therefore I I looked at transferring, and I had some great great offers. I looked at Baylor, uh, Wake Forest, uh, UNC, and Georgia. Those were my last four. And uh, it was just something about Georgia, you know, I was talking to everyone around me, all my close, close family, close friends. Um, I had someone tell me that I, I just couldn't not go there. And it's been the best year of my life, you know, just met some great people. Many Jamie and Will have done an amazing job, have been the greatest role models for me, been great coaches and the whole experience, you know, playing for around of 4,000 fans uh, was was something that 
I will never be able to, you know, uh, that was the greatest feeling ever. Yeah. I mean, there aren't many places in tennis where you can play in front of, you know, 3000 plus screaming, informed, knowledgeable fans. I mean, it really is only found at the very, very elite levels of the game. And even then, I mean, you're not, not really going to find that level of passion that exists in college tennis, certainly to school like Georgia was with such a storied program. You mentioned those kind of short list of schools that you were looking at. So you decide to enter into the portal. Did you have a, a type of school that you were looking for? Uh, and if so, what were sort of the characteristics that you were looking for when you entered the portal? So when I entered the portal, I was like 13.5 UTR. I was probably like top 30 in college based on UTR. And uh, I knew I wanted to go to a program uh, that, that is like top 10. And to be honest with you, I wanted to go to a program where I would play like five or six because that meant that the people in front of me would be so, so good mm. that we would have a chance at winning uh, the national championship. And then uh, when all those offers came in, uh, my first uh, thought was, what are the odds of winning a national championship or a conference title with that team? And I put it all on paper. It was a very, very tough decision. It took like a long time to like uh, think about uh, each of them. You know, I didn't really think about like school or things like that. I was just thinking about uh, the ring and uh, Georgia was the one that won and we also won the ring. So yeah, <laughs> it was the <laughs> there right you decision. Go. It, it was the right decision for you. So for those of us that are don't have access to the portal, talk about what it looks like when you enter. I mean, I'm almost envisioning like a Tinder for transfers. You enter the portal and now you can reach out to coaches. Coaches can reach out to you. What does that look like from a, a communication standpoint? Yeah, so I'm going to start by saying that the portal is very badly done. In my opinion, the NCAA <laughs> does a very poor job with it. Uh, in order to enter the portal, you go to uh, compliance and uh, they just send an email to, I don't know, the head coach and NCAA informing that you're entering the portal. And then you're basically, uh, uh, your name appears on an HTML website done very badly. Um, and the thing that I have against the transfer portal is that the players do not have access to see it. And I, I in my opinion, that would be a great thing to have access to the transfer portal because as a player that wants to transfer, I would like to see what other people are in the transfer portal and mm. what are my odds of going to the school I want to go because if there are like a hundred players that are top 125 in the transfer portal and I'm playing six for my team then I'm probably not going to enter the transfer portal you know but not having access to that I think is a big big uh, negative point on the NCAA and I think they should make it a public and for everyone to see mm. so it's it's really a, a one way directional thing so you're in the portal but you don't actually see anything you cannot see anything it's only the coaches the head coaches and assistant coaches that have access to that i've only seen it one time on uh, someone else's phone and yeah. it's basically just names uh and school that's it so does that mean so you enter the portal you just have to wait then for coaches to reach out to you uh, once you enter the portal, you can mm -hmm. reach out to other coaches uh, if you want to. It's basically just recruiting us before okay. going to college. You could reach out. But uh, in my case, I didn't really reach out. I only sent one email I sent to 
uh, Sam Tripp from UNC, and that was the only email I sent. And obviously, I connected with him and uh, went on a visit there, and I had a great time. It's just I thought Georgia was the better choice. Yeah. Okay. So really, you enter, and these coaches are reaching out to you, and then you kind of engage in the conversation. Um, and you mentioned the visit to UNC. It, do you take visits to all of those schools that you are uh, interested in transferring to? Yeah, so uh, you have yet again five visits just as uh, before oh, wow. being a freshman. Yeah, you have five visits. And it's obviously much different now because de depending on when you enter the portal, uh, in my case, I entered in, uh, in November, I think, or October, something like that. So uh, I was able to take some visits uh, during finals week when there was like a dead period and uh, you were not allowed to practice with the team and stuff like that, not during finals week, the week before that. And uh, I just took, I actually visited all three schools except for Georgia. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> funnily enough, but uh, the day after I committed to Georgia, I went and uh, visited over there. Yep. And it sounds like in your process, I'm sure everyone's process is different as they're evaluating the factors, whether that be scholarship money that's on the table, uh, in your case, focused on, you know, number one, who has the highest likelihood of winning the NCAAs or getting getting a ring. Um, as a non-American, though, you can't take advantage yet of NIL. How much have you heard NIL factoring into these transfer conversations? Well, uh, right now, I think NIL is not that big of a deal in tennis, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like as a, as a tennis athlete, you have so much to offer and uh, much more than just your image or your following. But I think at this point in time, it's not that big of a deal just yet. I know some of the bigger players have some deals, uh, but I don't think that's uh, such a big role right now from what I have heard. Okay. I might be wrong about it. Yeah, I, I'm curious to to hear more about that. I think, you know, maybe Ethan would be a good uh, a good person to ask. Uh, I'm sure he has some opportunities headed his way after winning the NCAAs. So you decide on Georgia to kind of take advantage of your fifth year of eligibility. Uh, when did you arrive on campus and what was the biggest challenge of coming to a new school that you hadn't visited, but being a fifth year? Uh, yeah, I arrived on campus uh, in uh, September of uh, last year. Um, the biggest challenge was honestly the school. Being a master's student was very, very tough. Um, the first two months of school were so difficult. It was a lot of coding, something I've never done before. And uh, that was a very tough adjustment. I would also missed uh, two practices a week with the team due to my schedule as I was not allowed to choose any of my classes I was just put in there um, by the advisor that takes care of the my master's program. And so Jamie had to work extra hard. You know, he was there out there with me for two individuals a week, uh, more than uh, the usual. And uh, that was the biggest adjustment. But obviously, uh, we were five fifth years and uh, we we're just... Everyone was so understanding and so helpful. And then the, the coaches, the coaches were the ones that really helped me a lot. Uh, I was super stressed at the beginning and they just told me everything will be fine. And they 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 trusted me a lot. And uh, obviously you saw in the spring how bad I started the year. And that was another big challenge. 
uh, because I was obviously so down on myself. I was not used to losing matches. Uh, Clemson, I only lost three matches in the dual season. And uh, I was so down on myself. But I remember sat down with them uh, in Illinois, in Chicago, after we lost to Illinois. And they just told me they trusted me. And they they we found a way to get over that. And then had a great uh, indoors. Had a great indoors. Beat Casey Hull. Uh, beat uh, Ryan Colby and then lost to Gorsny. Um But yeah, that was the turning point, honestly. Yeah, that sounds like it's funny. You mentioned in indoors as, as I chatted with Ethan, also an inflection point in his season uh, up until that point. It's interesting, you know, we've seen a lot of transfers who come in his fifth years who maybe don't have the same level of, of success that they did in their undergrad years. Do you attribute what maybe do you attribute that to? You talked about maybe the academic rigors of being in a master's program versus undergrad, maybe less flexibility when it comes to being a student athlete in a master's program. Are there other factors that you think might uh, kind of contribute to making it more difficult as a master's student? I'm going to start by saying that I think I had a very successful season, maybe more successful than all the past seasons I've had. Uh, I am a very big team guy and uh, what we achieved was special for me and very close to my heart. So I believe uh, this was the season that was the best out of my whole career, even though the record doesn't show that. But uh, to to answer your question, I think that uh, when you are transferring, going to a bigger program, the expectations are bigger. There is a lot more pressure mm -hmm. uh, and uh, there is also a different game style. I mean, at one and two, I'm playing guys like uh, Rodesh or like Andres Martin who are attacking. And my, my game style is a lot uh, like defending and punching back, you know, while at five, six, four, five, six, there are a lot of players who uh, have different game styles. And for me, it was tough to, uh, to adapt to that and uh, to create uh, my offense. Uh, so, uh, in that regard, I think that's, that's the biggest challenge when playing lower, lower in the lineup uh, when transferring. Yeah, that makes sense. I know you've talked openly about your love for the Georgia tennis program. Talk up a little bit about some of the things you saw both within the Georgia tennis program and just the University of Georgia and the community that made your fifth year really special. I mean, everything was super special. Uh, everyone there was, is is incredible. Uh, Manny and Jamie and Will have done an incredible job uh, to create a super good culture, team culture. Like w the guys on the team are super close. We hang out all the time. We joke around. Uh, we travel in a in a travel bus, uh, and we're uh, on the couch there talking for like hours and hours, and uh, that m makes the experience even more special. But but then like. Uh, our AD Josh Brooks is out there for every single match. He's super supported. I have not seen any other school like have their AD as much as our AD was out there and we can talk to him on a personal level and he's there for us. He was actually there in Orlando as well. And then, uh, I mean, to be honest, everything is spectacular. And I'm going to tell you that Kirby comes to some of our practices and comes to every single match or almost every single match we played. And he comes to talk to us in the locker room. And it, it's truly incredible that the love, the love that everyone at Georgia has for the tennis program, both men and women, is, is special. 
Yeah, that was something Ethan and I noticed. I think it was the Kentucky match. Obviously, the fans, loud. There's a lot of them, but also just seeing Kirby Smart, you know, two-time now uh, NCAA champion. The, the football players are out in force. Uh, you're right that that's a level of support that you don't often see uh, at other schools. The word on the street, though, is that you did a lot of promotion this season for UGA and that we talk about the crowd size, that you are one of the key reasons behind that crowd size uh, and that it can really be attributed to your hustle. Talk about some of the ways that you promoted Georgia tennis this season. Talk about how you engage the local community to really turn fans out for those home matches. Yeah, I mean, I took it upon myself. Uh, I think that uh, the big matches, the more people you have in the crowd, the better, you know, the bigger home advantage. So something that I did was reach out to every sorority and fraternity, telling them about our match and showing them like clips uh, of how fun it is that it's a fun environment. You got to promote it in order for people to come out there. I also reached out to local businesses to let them know about uh, our upcoming matches. Uh, I I uh, went and put uh, the, the schedule uh, on some businesses like uh, where I, I asked if uh, they could display it for us I also put it uh, in in the dorms uh, and the most important thing and shout out to Stetson I mean I texted Stetson Bennett I had talked to him uh, a few times before that in the football facility where I went to do some treatment and he's a very nice guy and then I DM him on Instagram asking uh, if he could uh, post something for us for the Kentucky match and he was more than willing to do that. So when someone that has 170,000 followers on Instagram posts something and, you know, most of them are from Athens, uh, people are going to notice and then are going to come. So then in that Kentucky match, I think there were like 3,000 fans, something like that. Well, I know the graphics said like 2,700, but I promise you it was more than that. <laughs> and then obviously that match was was incredible, incredible atmosphere. So people enjoyed it. And then by word of mouth, then they're going to tell their friends and then there's it's going to be even better. So if you bring people out there, you got to make it a fun atmosphere. And uh, I also play a part in that in doubles. I go crazy and try to engage the fans as much as possible. So, yeah. And then they come and they enjoy it. And hopefully next year it's going to be even more packed to to see a guy 200 in the world and a guy 400 in the world play on court one and two in whatever yeah. order. <laughs> well, I think you just you know, laid out the playbook, right, for kind of bringing more people to college tennis. I mean, you talked about the clips. I think that that's one of the biggest things we can do more of, right? I think when you talk about, oh, like I just came back from Orlando and, oh, I went to a college tennis tournament. People just think it's sort of like one guy from Georgia playing a guy from Ohio State and they're out on court one doing whatever. It's kind of like Wimbledon in that sense. You're just going out and watching so much different than that. So I'm sure that those clips helped significantly, you know, going out to these local businesses and then asking, right. Particularly for yeah. college tennis players, you know, who have friends have connections across the athletic department and saying, Hey, we're trying to get more fans out to the matches because I think you're right. Particularly at Georgia. I mean, there's, it's, it's unlike any other place when you go and, and watch a tennis match there, but people are going to come back because it is fun. It is an, a lively atmosphere. It's not just sitting on your hands and, and delicately clapping. So uh, hats off to you for well, the promotion. Thank you. And but I think that showing them clips from Orlando is not gonna do much justice for for our for our uh, product, you know. And I truly believe that uh, 
the NCAA should be held in Athens every single year because the student athletes deserve to 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 have the support of those fans. And I think it's a pleasure to play with four or five thousand people in the stands, even though they are against you. Well, that's that's true. We just need to find a way to get that same level of of crowd support, even if Georgia's not playing. And that's you know I've now been to what four NCAA's at Georgia. When Georgia's playing, there's nothing like it. But got to find a way to get that many fans out for all teams, um, you know, yeah. regardless of who's playing. But yeah, I do think those clips, I mean, the clips from Georgia in Athens, right? If you're showing those to a sorority or fraternity, they're going great. I, yeah, this looks exciting. This looks like a, a college sporting event I'd like to go to. So, you know, you had an incredible season. You talked about it being your most special in college tennis. You end up making the elite eight. Ethan Quinn ends up winning the NCAA singles title. But you also talked about kind of hanging up the rackets. So what is next for you after college tennis now that you don't have another year of eligibility? Um, how, what are you thinking about plans? Yeah, so uh, if any college tennis coach is uh, listening to this podcast, uh, they can reach out to me on Instagram if they need an assistant coach or a paid volunteer position. That would be great. Uh, but if not... I'm uh, looking at just regular jobs, you know, trying to to stay in the U.S. since uh, the issues with the visa and how tough it is to stay here. So just transitioning, but I would love to stay in college tennis because I have such a big passion and it it it, it is such a big place in my heart and uh, I would love to to stay in college tennis. So if anyone is listening and would love someone that is passionate for the game, then I'd be I'd be willing to talk and open. Yeah, I mean. It, it even if you weren't a good college tennis player, which you are, you're an incredible player, just the way you talked about engaging the community. I mean, there's so many programs across the country who could use a Theodore Juska on campus to say, okay, how are we going to grow, you know, this to be a destination that, you know, players want to come to the fans want to come to. So uh, it would be a huge asset to any program. I certainly look forward to seeing what you do next one thing we know that we will be hearing from you is that you started a Georgia tennis focused podcast called Racket Rundown. What was the inspiration behind that podcast and what are you hoping to cover moving forward? Yeah, so my my inspiration for that, I was, it's funny, I was sitting in bed just on my phone and then all of a sudden uh, the friends I'm staying with have a studio here. So I was like, why don't I just make a podcast, you know? um i just the georgia has given me so much and uh i love i love that university so much and the tennis program and i wanted to give back i wanted to allow the players to share their stories and just to connect with all the alumni that have done such a great job building the program and then just uh giving back you know uh, for for from a recruiting purpose uh, like standpoint saying that georgia is the only tennis program in the country that has a podcast I think is a huge boost you know and uh, I, I just love that program so much and I want to I want to help in any possible way I can yeah well I uh, have listened to every episode so far I'm I'm really enjoying I look forward to more coverage there uh, I look forward to you broaching the, the topic of should NCAAs be in Athens I know that there is a lot of improvements coming to the University of Georgia tennis facility so look forward to hearing more about that but you're right I mean uh, on the ground there was just so much chatter 
during the individual event about the alums of Georgia who were following Ethan's run, you know, to the final and ultimately winning the championship there. It's, it's pretty clear that there's a really strong alumni network. So many players who have gone on to do amazing things, both in tennis and out of tennis. So uh, I'm sure that it'll be um, very successful and it is really cool to see. There are so many other schools that have school focused podcasts often covering football, maybe basketball or baseball, but, you know, nothing really on tennis. So I think it's fantastic. And it's only fitting that the first one happens with Georgia. So again, uh, that's racket rundown. You can find that on kind of wherever you listen to podcasts, right? Spotify, Apple, Spotify, Podcast. Apple. Awesome. Uh, okay. Balls so on Instagram, Twitter, yes, Instagram, Twitter, uh, racket rundown, right. Is the Instagram handle. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, um, thank you so much for your time, Theodore. We're going to end here with a few rapid fire questions for you. What advice would you have for players in the portal right now? Uh, go just trust, trust your God, trust your feeling and go to the school that uh, you feel most comfortable with. Best college tennis facility that isn't Georgia. Uh, uh, SMU. SMU. Okay. Yeah. They get a lot of love there in Dallas. All right. Better college tennis conference, the ACC or the SEC? SEC. Even though Virginia's taken the last two? Even though, I mean, it's, I've played in both and <laughs> yeah. I played at the top of the lineup in the ACC and I've had a better record than playing five and six in the SEC. So <laughs> tell you for sure, SEC is much tougher. Okay. Fair enough. Who will have the better pro career? Ethan Quinn or Ben Shelton? Uh, I mean, Ethan is my friend, so I'm gonna say Ethan. But it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. But both have so many great assets, and they both have a big serve, big big forehand. And but I feel like Ethan is just getting started, and he's gonna skyrocket really really soon. Yeah, I think you can expect to see both of them, you know, in the top 100 doing good things for many years to come. And there's just more and more college tennis players who are uh, entering those ranks. So it's awesome to see. All right. Last one. And this was a question your friend Ethan struggled with. Three words to describe Coach Manny Diaz. Yeah, I mean, I was there. You asked him. A, I, you asked him differently. You said adjective. So that, that I think that's what <laughs> confused him. Oh, using but, adjectives uh, instead uh, of words. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say legendary, legendary, uh, goat and uh, a comedian. Like he, he said, he's the funniest person I've ever been around, and he's such a pleasure to be around. And he's just an awesome person overall. And he, I still talk to him, and I think we'll keep in touch forever because I, he's just an awesome person. Absolutely, it seems like despite you know he's been there for decades, and so many players have come through that program. You know, everyone still feels so connected to him and the Georgia program because of that. So he, I think is, is a linchpin for a lot of um, the success we we're talking about that Georgia has had. So, all right, Theodore, really appreciate you coming on the show. Appreciate you giving us an inside look at the transfer process. I know that it's a little bit of a black box for some people. I'm so glad that you were able to have a successful season after transferring and you know, congrats on what was really a special run to see Georgia go on this year. We mentioned racket rundown on social media and where can they follow you personally on social media? 
It's just my name, Jushka Theodor, at, uh, on, on Instagram, on Twitter, and TikTok. I'm trying to build a career out of TikTok. It's going okay for now, but still a lot of work to do. All right. Yeah, definitely check out the TikTok. People were talking about the TikToks, Theodore, in Lake Nona. So I need to check those out. But maybe, you know, that will be full-time influencer. Maybe if the coaching job doesn't work out, we'll go full-time influencer. So appreciate the time. And uh, I will chat with you soon. Best of luck in the job search. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. And you're doing such a great job with this podcast. I listen to all of them. And it's truly a pleasure that I'm finally part of one. Cool. Thanks, Theodore. Yeah, of course. That that was awesome. Yeah. Thanks again to John for having me on the podcast today. He does an amazing job and it's been a pleasure to be on the podcast today with him. Go follow him at Noad No Problem on Instagram and Twitter. And also follow Racket Rundown on Instagram and Twitter. Hope to see you next episode.